This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. And it's in the ball. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Question of the week. You have an opportunity to chase your dreams. There's a 50% chance you get your dream job. You get to make millions. You get all the fame and fortune. There's a 50% chance that you fail and you walk home with your tail between your legs. Do you take it? Uh, you know, I know for me in my personal situation, uh, you know, I am not that much of a risk taker. I'm at least self-aware to know that I'm not. And uh, I suppose more than that, more, more of that depends on, you know, hey, I got, I've got kids to feed, family supports. Like, hey, you right. know, when I, if I'm 20 years old and, you know, and, and I suppose that risk is really high reward, I could probably afford to take that risk. So I think I know which road you're going down here. But, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, different situations call for different measurements there. Yeah. I'm the same way. I don't take a job unless I have a raise. And I think clearly, you know where I'm going. Kenny's going to get a raise. Yeah. Kenny Wooten, largely, I don't think the paperwork has been announced, but largely declaring his next step. He's going to go to the NBA draft and ply his trade elsewhere. I know he's chasing his dream. Sure. I just, I think there's a really strong chance it doesn't work. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I, I love Kenny Wooten. I love the player. I love him on Twitter. I love what he's done at Oregon. You know, the the way that he really propelled this team, uh, you know, with that late run there uh, in the Pac-12 tournament, obviously in the NCAA tournament, he was a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I think he was largely helped by the emergence of Francis Socorro as well, playing uh, alongside him. No question, his athleticism is ridiculous. I mean, I know that, I think that was a big thing when he went down and tested and blew everybody away with his vertical and all yeah. these other things. You know, somebody clearly went and got in his ear and said, hey, look, dude, you know, you'll get drafted. And, and so, I, you know, hopefully he does. Hopefully that's the case. At, at this point, I don't believe he's signed an agent yet, so he could still possibly return. He could, you know, oh, change my mind, I'm coming back. Yeah, I think, I think like, we're taping this on a Wednesday. I think the deadline is this week. Okay. So yeah. it's it's now or never. Right. Right. Yeah. It's so, yeah, again, it, what is he, 20 years old, 21 years old? Even if he's 22, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, you have the opportunity, uh, you know, it's a, uh, semi-alarming though. You know, you got Miles Norris transferring out. You've got, uh, you know, obviously you've got Louis King, you know, going to the NBA, uh, which is a done deal. You knew Bull Bull was going. That doesn't, yeah. that doesn't move the needle. That was going to happen, but all of a sudden, Dana Altman's got quite a few guys leaving the program. You kind of look around like, hmm, what's what's going on? Is something yeah. you know? I mean, what's 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 the deal? So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we're making something out of nothing. I, I clearly have the most respect for Dana Altman and what he's done, and I have no doubt that he'll put this team right back on track once mm-hmm. again. But you can't at least look at all this and say, well, that's a, that is a wee bit alarming. Yeah. Well, I think I think there's three storylines to take away this week: duck basketball getting everybody's attention in the middle of the offseason. Um, one is 
I I think that Wooten is a great college player. Yeah. He he blocks like Dikembe Mutombo crossed with Patrick Ewing crossed with Akeem. He, he's just a beast down low. Blocks shots. But I think that's a more valuable skill in Oregon's defense yeah. and in Dana Altman's system than it's going to be in the NBA. Right. There's a lot of big men that can block in the NBA. Yeah. Those guys can also drive, pass. They can defend one-on-one. They can rebound. And those are things that I don't think Kenny Wooten can do. Yeah. I mean, his, his jumper, his offensive game needs a lot of work. I think it got a little better this year, but it still has a long ways to go. Um, and that's not to sit here and pick on him. It just, to me, it means, man, another year of college really mm-hmm. gives him a chance. And I don't know that he'd ever be a lottery pick or even a, you know, maybe not even ever a first rounder. So maybe to him, it's like, hey, what's what's my ceiling? Am I at it now? You know, I mean, will I get that much better? Sure, he might improve in certain areas. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of elements to his game that need a lot of work, which has me personally just looking at it uh concern for his i guess nba career or whatever it will be yeah yeah like and then, and then the second part is i think about if he doesn't get drafted because a team can come out and promise they can say hey we love you we're gonna have you aboard the promise doesn't mean anything until draft night when oh, they yeah. turn the pick in yeah and there's only two rounds in the nba draft so let's say kenny wooten doesn't get picked now you're looking at a G League guy. Right. And the average G League salary, I looked this up, it's under 35000 bucks a year. Right. That's not nothing, but you can't grow into a professional athlete on thirty-five grand a year. Right. Good luck weight training with peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, you know, and, and then, you know, if you end up in a... a a market where you know you, you end up in LA or a market that's really expensive to live in right that's not even a drop in the bucket yeah yeah 35 grand doesn't even move the needle at all so i think about jeremy lynn he's told this story before when he was just breaking it before lynn sanity he literally had to crash on a buddy's couch yeah this is a professional basketball player right crashing on a buddy's couch eating top ramen every night that's what these guys have to do yeah and, and if you're Kenny Wooten, is that better for your development than your meals are free? Right. You have the best college coaches in the country. You've got incredible facilities to work out. Right. Which one's better? Yeah. And a decent living style to boot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not getting paid, but you really have don't have much overhead. Yeah. If any. So yeah, I'm with you. That was it was it was a uh, I would I would call that a, a a mildly surprising development for him to announce that he's going. Um, I mean, in the back of my mind, I kind of wondered, and they went down and, and tested, and it's like, man, okay. And anymore, like you said, these guys get in their ear, and uh, the unfortunate side is they're telling a dozen guys the same thing. Oh, we're going to draft you. Yeah, yeah, we're going to you know yeah. it won't be first round, but we're going to draft you. We'll move up. We'll draft you. Well, it's funny you go there because. You work in the world of recruiting, mm-hmm. and you're a good dude. I know you. I've seen you work the phones and talk to people before. You know there's some pretty seedy people out there. Oh, yeah. That they do that. Right. And and there's no there's no knock for them if they tell the kid, oh, hey, Bama's going to sign you. Right. Or, hey, the Ducks want you. You're on their radar. They want the kid to believe that. Yeah. Just like these guys in the NBA. They want Kenny Wooten to believe that because they're going to get their cut. Right. He's going to go to them for weight training or go to them for a shoe deal or whatever. Right. Yeah, that's the key. Everybody's trying to latch on to somebody and hope they can, 
you know, go with them for the ride up. I mean, that's just, that's what happens in high school football right now. It's going to hi- happen in high school basketball. And, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously happening in college as well. So, you know, I know I've, I've been able to talk with some agents before and, <clears throat> you know, they've, they've told me, man, the, it, it's a dirty game. It's a dirt. There's a lot of promises and, and a lot of stuff that, uh, that goes on. that's not supposed to, you know, in hopes of signing a guy. And, uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's that. But yeah, uh, here we are. At least we have something to talk about. Right. Something interesting. Right. This week. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was honestly when we were messaging yesterday, I was going to say, well, maybe we just don't record this week. You know, I didn't wasn't sure who I was going to be able to get for uh, for a guest, and uh, there. I mean, there's just not much going on. I mean, there, you know, there just isn't. You sure we can't just spend 40 minutes breaking down the Auburn game? Yeah, we probably could. I'm sure <laughs> folks really like that, and we're going to lead up to that. But we do have a really great guest, which yeah. I'm excited about, and we won't get into the Auburn game specifically here, but uh, for those that read Scoop Duck or those that read Addicted to Quack, I reached out to Hithlow Day. He's going to come on today, and we're going to talk specifically about Oregon. We're going to talk about the offense and the defense and what they did right and wrong last year and, and some of those things. We're going to talk about, we're kind of laying the groundwork here. We'll have him on again. And I want to have him on several times talking about, you know, some of the bigger games of the year. We might not talk about all all of the games, but we'll get Auburn, we'll get USC, we'll get, you know, we'll get some of the big games with him. But for today, I want to talk, you know, kind of Oregon specific. What, you know, what does the offense need to do? What were some of the biggest pitfalls? I know if you've read his work, he's kind of, you know, mentioned some things, but it's always nice to be able to vocalize it. You know, it's nice to hear a person kind of expand on their thoughts a little bit. So that's why I'm excited for this guest. I know he's, uh, you know, really picked up a lot of interest in the in the Oregon Duck football world. A lot of folks are following his work now, yeah. as as they should. It's it's excellent work. So uh, I'm excited to have him on and and really just kind of let him break down the X's of O X's and O's of Oregon football. Looking forward to it. Uh, Hidlow Day. We'll get to him. How about how about now? How about now? Okay. <laughs> It's a beautiful day. Um, blue skies. It's not raining. I'll take that. I can see that out of my office. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> and I'm also excited right now. We got Hithliday from Scoop Duck. And like Justin mentioned, he's on Twitter. He's pretty much everywhere in the world of duck fandom. Everybody reads this dude for his just fanatical film breakdowns and X's and O's insights. He's with us right now. Hith, this duck team... It's so fascinating to me because you have, on one hand, all this optimism heading into 2019 and all the criticism from last year. They lose a game to Utah they could have won, lose a game to Arizona that, hey, maybe they could have won. Score didn't look like it. And grit their teeth in a couple other games. Just how do you feel about duck football heading into 2019? Uh, I've been a Ducks fan for a long time. They are all uh, different tasting beers from the same great brewery. I'll, I'll take whatever the Ducks have for me. Some are more bitter than others, uh, but I like them all. Good. No, I, that's, a, that's a great analogy, by the way, because I am a fan of beer. Um, so, yeah, that, <laughs> that, yeah, that would be like going to Great Notion and, and just drinking whatever they have. But uh, for the sake of football, um, you know, I know you've seen it. Uh, you know, I've seen it. Everyone's seen it. A lot of criticism for the offense specifically. There was moments where it was pretty, I don't want to say brilliant, but it was pretty darn good. And there was moments like the Michigan State game that, you know, obviously offense was at a premium in that game. So what yeah. gives you, I guess, 
optimism for them being able to uh, take the next step and turn the corner this year? Uh, there are a few things um, uh, in no particular order. One of the things that I really enjoyed watching was in the first three non-conference games, which I understand most people were not paying a whole lot of attention to and that, God, they feel like they happened decades ago. But Oregon had a lot of really interesting stuff. You know, for a film hound like me, they were running some smoke screens. They were running some really fascinating stuff that uh, you have to go back to Nevada and Chris Alt and Jim Mastro to find teams doing uh, some of this like really schematically interesting stuff. And then the Stanford game comes and it pretty much all goes away. They go to a very, uh, you know, fairly simplified offense, which I thought was normal for a new offense install. You know, every football coach in America will tell you, you know, you don't get that done in a summer. Um, and so I, you know, that's one of the biggest signs to me is that this playbook's bigger than what we saw in 2018. And I think there's going to be just a natural expansion of what winds up getting called in 2019. You know, this is the biggest offensive change that Oregon has seen probably since 2005 when Gary Crouton took over from Andy Ludwig's attempt to destroy the Ducks. Uh, <laughs> and. And, you know, I, I think a lot of the uh, complaints about, you know, Oregon's output in 2018 were pretty natural to a, you know, new install of a new system uh, with freshman running backs, with an offensive line that got banged up, with wide receivers whose hands are made out of rocks. Uh, you know, everything that I was seeing on film was, yeah, this is normal. Um, and, and not anything that I was really concerned about, uh, to sort of flip your question around. The thing that gives, gives me the most pause, uh, is the way that Justin Herbert is going through his progression. This is probably the first time he's operated in a true read progression passing system where, you know, he's got a, you know, he, he's got to evaluate who's open, who's breaking open, where the defense at, where are the safety's sitting at. And when it came to reading the middle of the field, he was checking out of uh, open guys, you know, in the middle of the field in favor of Dylan Mitchell. You know, fans weren't imagining things when they were complaining about him having a love affair with, with Dylan Mitchell. And he's got to get better at that. Um, and hopefully, you know, he'll be a senior, this, you know, a longtime starter. And, and you have, optimism that uh that he will so you you sound like the ducks are teasing some new stuff out of the pistol what do you think we might see that's new out of the pistol next year well the big question the big play that comes out of a pistol offense that we did not see at all in 2018 in fact i think we only saw it once in 2017 in the cal game is the veer um where the quarterback sort of takes off laterally the running back goes with him and he has a, an option to pitch it or not um uh, it's a little more complicated than that but i don't have an x's and o's board in front of me uh and and we saw very, very little of that. And I think the coaches probably rightly were concerned about repeating an injury to Justin Herbert that so, you know, derailed the 2017 season. So there's not a whole lot of quarterback runs uh, in this offense. Um, in fact, I think they very wisely altered their zone read scheme so that every one of their zone reads was constructed in such a way that if Justin Herbert kept the ball, he was always running to the outside, never up the middle, and always with a 
uh, clear view of which uh, defensive personnel were available to tackle him so we wouldn't get surprised and hit from the blind side. I think that was a pretty smart adjustment. To, you know, keep that guy upright. We saw in 2017 what happens to this offense when he's not. Um, and uh, that's, I think, one of the bigger things that we'll see in 2018 is more outside runs, the possible return of the veer, and just a more complicated offense, you know, I, uh, just more pages in the playbook um, as the, the install progresses into year two. So I know that, uh, you know, obviously you spend a lot of time uh, going over film, plays, you know, individual players, all of that. And that said, I know there's not really an accurate way to quantify it because we're neither of us are Marcus Arroyo or Mauro Cristobal in that room. But if you had to put uh, just maybe like a percentage on it, you know, Oregon, by all intents and purposes, and I'm just going to use a number and throw it out there, but, you know, Oregon ran... 20 different plays last year that was the most you know 95 percent of the offense was you know 20 plays in in you know for different formations or variations wow knowing well and i'm just throwing a number that's just i'm just throwing a hypothetical so you're not far off i counted 27 okay yeah i figured i was wow. close i figured it was close but this wow. year my my question yeah, is 27 i'm i'm counting all possible variations so sure. go to the left go to the right i'm counting that as the same play that kind of thing right gotcha yeah i figured 20 was probably pretty close and so my question is is You've got Justin Herbert returning. You've got Marcus Arroyo returning. And as you mentioned, all of those things tend to help. If you could just maybe make an educated guess, uh, how much more offense do you think we could see evolve this year? And besides the veer, is there anything else in particular you think might make a, a return or a debut? Uh, I suspect that you'll see that number in the 30s or 40s. Um, I, I, I suspect there'll be a, a lot more variety. I mean, I have no way of knowing this, as you say, sure. I, you know. But if you, you know, study any team that's going through an install, of course, year two is, you know, that's when you do the, that's when you do the fun stuff to, to the weird stuff to quote Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. <laughs> um, the, the play that I think I was most uh, disappointed in uh, last year, this this one in its absence was uh, actually handing the ball off on a sweep. Uh, Oregon was using a lot of pre-snap motion and sort of fake sweeps when the you know wide receiver prior to the snap would come across the formation, and they would. Uh, I'm not kidding. On a majority of Oregon snaps, they would include some sort of motion or fake sweep, but they actually only handed the ball off in conference play, I believe, six times, which is a insanely low number. Um, and I think between the wide receiver talent and the speed that they've got and just the fact that defenses towards the end of the year started to clue in on, hey, you know, you don't need to dedicate your best safety to covering that, uh, it, it got to be sort of predictable. So I would really love to see the return of the uh, the, the fly sweep uh, and uh, motion game. That would be pretty exciting. Uh, the, when I was doing the run pass optimization numbers for the article I wrote in February, that was the thing that jumped out most was that they were very successful at outside runs, including, including sweeps. And that was the one thing that didn't match up with um, between how successful they were and how frequently they called it on every other play. They were pretty good about, you know, this play doesn't work very, very often. So we're not going to run it very often. This play works pretty well. We're going to run it a lot, but that was the one exception I'd like to see him do more of. Earlier, you highlighted Justin Herbert and some areas where he's good, some areas where not so good, he's got to grow. Is there another player? Like, I'm thinking with that epic recruiting class that came in, is there a player that you have highlighted that you think can really thrive in that scheme? 
Uh, well, gosh, I mean, the, nothing would make me happier watching the Oregon offense than if Brennan Schooler and Johnny Johnson were benched, not because I don't uh, uh, have any fondness for those guys in my heart, but just, I mean, looking at the bevy of wide receiver talent that they've got and then right. just simply knowing that, you know, that was the problem between drops and miscommunications on route running and just a lack of the wide receivers getting separation. Really, that last one is the most important of, of all of them is that, you know, a big part of the offense are comeback routes or uh, making a, a, a nice clean break on a dig route um, where you lose the cornerback. Um, and Schooler and Johnson, for all the respect in the world that I have for them, like they just weren't threatening uh, defensive backs enough in order to make those plays really successful. And some of the guys coming in, my stars, you know, you watch their film and uh, they can accomplish that. The other thing that I'm really excited about is, um, is, hey, all five of the offensive linemen are coming back and they're probably the best offensive line in the conference, yeah. maybe the country last year. Um, there's just so much you can do when you have a veteran offensive line. It's, uh, you know, probably the greatest disparity in all of sports media is the difference between how important your offensive line is and how much people want to talk about it. So I am here. <laughs> give some love to big guys. Uh, having a veteran O-line is is the probably the biggest uh, uh, you know the biggest factor in Oregon's favor next year? Well, and I love that point because uh, you know I think what really jumps out to me is you look at a USC football team or even UCLA with Chip Kelly there now, and their biggest detriments on both those teams were offensive line. Oh, absolutely! And you could tell. I mean, it showed up because there's not many Chip Kelly teams led teams that that looked. They had their moments, but overall they just didn't play very good offense, and I think that was probably his biggest uh, biggest issue there, which is a great thing that Oregon doesn't have that problem. Um, my quick question is, uh, in, in 2017, excuse me, uh, penalties were the talk of what really hindered the offense. That was... Uh, yeah, holy cow. <laughs> it was rough, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, 2018, it was drop passes. It was receivers dropping the ball. And we've and we've talked a lot about it, and I don't want to, again, I don't want to sit here and beat up the receivers, because like you, there's no doubt that Brendan Schooler and Johnny Johnson are showing up to practice and workouts and working their butts off doing their best, but... You know, from your film study, is there is there true legitimate merit to how impactful the drops were on this offense this past season? Yes and no. Um, I would frame it this way. I think that the drop passes were the tip of the spear. Um, they're definitely the thing that hurt the most. They're definitely, in terms of impact, uh, yeah, because we saw multiple times you know, there were touchdowns taken off the board. There were, um, if it wasn't a touchdown, it was going to be a conversion to field goal territory. So that would have at least been three points. Um, so yeah, in terms of points off the scoreboard, sure. That said, on the year, I only counted 24 drop passes for the, you know, the limited sample that I was looking at because in when I'm doing uh, data analysis, I excluded the non-conference games and then also this more sad to say the the an FCS caliber team this year. Um, I, it was only sixteen passes, and uh, you know sixteen passes on five hundred snaps is you know three percent. That three percent doesn't describe what you know the totality of the issue. Right. Um, not even close. 
you know, the much bigger factor, much bigger structural factor is, as I was saying earlier, the, um, well, number one is the wide receivers not getting separation. It really, you know, defense is sort of new. It really only had to seriously cover Dylan Mitchell. And number two, uh, that the, the offensive line injuries and that, you know, that, that creates ripple effects that go throughout the offense, right? You know, when you can't run block and you're a run first offense, it creates pretty big and obvious problems. Um, so, uh, so yes and no, it's sort of my answer to your question. I, I, I would like to believe that the drop passes are going to um, get better. There's a lot of reasons to believe uh, that that will, if for no other reason, will simply regress to the mean. Um, you know, you mentioned penalties. The, the big thing that we were worried about after the 2017 season, I did an analysis on this. Oregon was averaging 88 penalty yards per game in 2017. They were averaging 48 penalty yards per game in 2018. It's an improvement of 40 yards per game. It was far and away number one, the best improvement in college football um, last year. Number two was Northwestern at 23. I mean, when this coaching staff puts their mind to it and says, this is a problem, this was killing us last year, we're going to fix it in this offseason, they are batting a thousand on fixing that kind of problem. No doubt. Yeah, they they needed more receivers. They went and got those, and like you said, they needed to fix penalties. So obviously that was a that was a big one too. That was just I mean those were drive killers. Some of them. I mean the, the yeah. false starts and just uh, you know, and and I think so. The last thing I want to touch on offensively before we we flip gears to the other the guys on the other side of the ball is uh is just the fact that you know. What, how do I want to say this? The, the explosion plays. Okay, so a lot, a lot is made of the explosion plays or lack thereof. Is, in your opinion, from what you've seen, is that, uh, is that by design? Is that the style of this offense? They're going to play the numbers. Uh, and I don't want to say play it safe, but sort of play it safe. Make sure they're getting two, three yards on first down. You know, trying to match that on second down. Maybe taking a chance here and there. Is uh, should should Oregon fans, regardless of how good this offense is in 2019? Will explosion plays be a bigger part of this offense, in your opinion? Uh, again, I've got to say yes and no. The uh, The short answer to your question is yes, definitely. This offense has a completely different focus, at least this rush offense, has a completely different focus than it did for the previous, you know, 13 years uh, prior to it. That uh, offense was an explosion based on it, it, its goal was to break off giant runs. Um, every play in that playbook from Gary Crowton to Chip Kelly to Mark Helfrich and everybody in between, every run play was a home run waiting to happen. Um, if everybody hit their blocks right, if the defense did what they were, you know, got, got their heads messed with in the way that, that offense was designed to mess with them, then that was going to be a touchdown. On the flip side, the, the, the problem was there were tons of negative yardage plays, right? right? If something didn't go right, if somebody missed a block or if the defense just guessed correctly, then you went backwards and that drive was over. In 2018, one of the reasons why I say this is the biggest offensive transformation that Oregon's gone through in quite some time is because they completely changed the core philosophy of what the run game is for. Now it is for efficiency. It is for yet, it is for get, you know, three to four yards 
uh, at minimum every play and most importantly never go backward and that's the thing that Oregon I understand it goes under the radar and it's sort of unappreciated when you watch running backs sort of just smash into the line you're like oh that wasn't very successful and then they clear out the big bodies and they're like well we got three yards um is that they never go backwards the the it's always you know at worst second and seven and the drive is alive and so to that extent you know things are things are especially in the first year especially when you have an offensive line that's injured especially when you look at the first three conference games that they had against stanford and washington and cal which were three of the best defenses in the pac-12 two of those were two of the top 10 excuse me defenses in the country cal and washington oregon crushed them with the running game Right. And when their offensive line was healthy. Um, So, you know, I've got no problems there. I think that, you know, it may take some time for Oregon fans to get used to it. It may take more than a year for that install to be completed. But in terms of efficiency, they're knocking it out of the park. I have no problems there. Now, when it comes to turning those efficiency runs, those like, oh, good, they broke through to the second level. They got, you know, not just three yards, but six, seven, eight yards. Okay, good for you. Now I want a touchdown out of it. Now I want you to, you know, go the rest of the distance. Those are the plays that weren't really showing up. We only saw one or two of those. Um, CJ Burdell had a big one in the Cal game. Tony Bruce James had a big one in the UCLA game. And I, they had a couple in the Oregon State games, but, you know, who cares? Right. But that is the thing that was missing. But I, I and, and Oregon fans are not wrong that those explosion rushes are missing. Part of it is because that's not really what they're trying to do. Part of it is because, hey, defenses have adapted since 2007. They have started employing safeties who can make tackles in space. You know, Chip Kelly's logic about, you know, just spread them out. It doesn't matter if you're stronger than me, if you can't catch me. Um, that logic has sort of permeated college football, and defenses, you know, know how to have good safeties who can, you know, make those tackles now. But part of the problem is those were freshman running backs and they were not making safeties miss, you know, they were doing exactly what was asked of them in terms of hitting the correct hole in the offensive line. They were doing what was asked of them in terms of reading where the linebacker uh, was at when they were doing stretch runs, you know, where they have to be patient and put their foot in the ground and get up the field. But what they were not doing was ducking that safety and blowing the run open for a big one. Do I have hope that in their sophomore year and with some of the new guys coming in who look really exciting that they will, you know, be able to hit those? Yes, I do. Uh, hope springs eternal. <laughs> no doubt. No, and I, I agree. You know, I agree. I think the easiest way or the, the way I look at it is it was, uh, you know, the old offense with boom or bust. You know, they were out on out on three or four downs or it was a touchdown. It was, uh, you know, complete. Yeah. And now it just seems as though, you know, this way, like you said, with defenses adjusting, this, this particular style of offense uh, doesn't tire out your defense as much because at the very least you're usually getting – you know, more than three plays on a drive and giving them a longer yep. break. Um, and I think there's some ball control and a lot of things that you used to see Alabama doing that I, I believe have been brought over, if I had to guess. Um, yeah, the joke I've been making is that Oregon in 2018 looked more like Stanford in 2012 than Stanford did in 2018. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's really crazy because because even Alabama, you look at Alabama with two and now and they've obviously evolved as an offense to a degree versus what you know we'd seen four five six years ago from them so it, it's just kind of a, a, a an interesting take um 
And I think if you're if you're Oregon in the Pac-12, it almost makes sense to go to that style of offense to a degree. You know, you're you're sure. you're the exception, not the norm, uh, at least in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, look at the teams. Look at the teams that won the the North and the South the last. You know, as a Washington and and Utah, they're not spreading it out and and uh, and doing crazy stuff. They're doing execution, solid offensive line play, and you know, smash mouth football because everybody in the Pac-12 reacted to Oregon and got you know lighter, faster safeties and that sort of stuff. And and yeah, the pendulum swung. So you know, smart to get out ahead of it. Definitely. Well, uh, so we spent a lot of time on offense, which I kind of figured would happen. Uh, defense. I want to touch on defense and see, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a little different for us to talk about because because obviously we haven't seen an Andy Avalos-led defense at Oregon other than the spring game, which, you know, was not really anything to, to yeah. judge. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm sure you've done some study on his time at Boise State a little bit and what he's done there. What, in your opinion, from maybe what you know or what you've seen to date, and I don't know how much it is, we didn't prep for this, what would be some of the bigger differences that, that Oregon fans might see in this defense this year from a, an Andy Avalos defense uh, from Jim Levitt? Uh, I did study Andy Avalos in um, 2017 because I was preparing for the uh, the bowl game that Oregon was going to play against Boise State. Um, he's an interesting guy and his defensive fronts are pretty interesting. When he says that they are multiple, that's not a code word for, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, which is usually what the word multiple means in college football. Um, and when he says, you know, we want the offense to react to us instead of us reacting to the offense, he's not kidding. That's, that is really and truly what he's doing. He was throwing, every kind of front you can imagine. He was throwing everything from one man fronts to five man fronts. He was running uh, even fronts, odd fronts, one gap, two gap. Uh, it was it was truly impressive, um, just the variety of what they were doing. Now, uh, part of that is that I don't think he really had reliable um, uh, three and five techs. He had a couple of great nose tackles, real big guys named Moa and Louie, um, who were sort of built like Jordan Scott, you know, the like sphere with legs. Right. Um, uh, but what he didn't have was, uh, you know, guys like Baker and Carlberg, you know, your, your DTs who, you know, didn't have a, uh, uh, the, the kind of guys who can really hold the point of attack at the in the B gap or the C gap while the rush ends would come around. And so he employed stud linebackers and a ton of those guys on the outside to constrain the play. And then right up the middle is where he'd bring Leighton Vander Esch, who's their phenomenal uh, middle linebacker, went to the NFL right after uh, beating the snot out of Oregon and the Vegas Bowl. Um, the, uh, and that's, that I think is sort of the primary difference between Levitt's scheme and Avalos's scheme is that Levitt wants to hold you at the point of attack and will use as many outside linebackers as necessary in order to do that to to, to stop the play at the at the line of scrimmage. And Avalos wants to sort of open up a gap for the middle linebacker to uh, bring the heat. Um, and so the. Uh, while I think it's understandable that a lot of folks have been trying to, to concentrate on what's the defensive line going to look like uh, in this scheme, um, especially because, you know, losing Justin Hollins and Jalen Jelks, you know, those, those are, you know, big, big time contributors to Oregon's defense. Um, 
and and there's a bunch of new and exciting you know guys who've been coming in over the last couple of years. The guys that I'm really watching for is Troy Dye and who's going to be next to him. I, I'm really interested to see how Slade Matuatia, um, given effort, some of these new guys are are going to play um, because they're the you know that's that's the hammer that's coming down the anvil. I'm not so worried about, I'm pretty sure the anvil is going to be pretty good. I want to see the hammer. Um, that that's the part in spring ball that I've been paying the most attention to earlier. You had a beer reference thrown in there. And in that last answer, I just heard a Jamon Eford reference. I think Justin is shaking G money. <laughs> I love me some G money. Glad his, uh, glad his, his tweet was nothing to be alarmed about earlier or whatever, but yeah, no, <laughs> um, in terms of, uh, and that, that's great. I love, I love the way you mentioned that and bring that up and the way you kind of set the table there in terms of what we might see, uh, defensively out of the backfield, you know, that's probably, that to me is one of the bigger differences I think might be happening from last year to this year. What might be some of the characteristics or difference? Because, you know, before it was a, you know, they were basically run a man under uh, under Levitt. And he didn't really like to deviate, deviate from that. And, you know, now under Avalos, what do you think we could see that defensive backfield? Doing? He seems to bring bring a little bit of pressure out of the backfield, if I recall correctly. Um, a little. He was primarily running a, he was running a nickel a whole lot. Um, and the thing that makes it a little tricky to study because I haven't done 2018 film is the 2018 Boise state film is that in 2017, he had a bunch of seniors in the defensive backfield. He had guys he could absolutely rely on. And I often sort of got the picture that he was just like, okay, boys, you know, do your thing. I'm going to focus on having a, you know, a new and bizarre, you know, defensive front for the offense to have to deal with. And we'll just rely on you guys to, to deal with it. I don't think Oregon's going to be in a similar position in 2019. I think that the defensive backfield probably needs a little more handholding than that. Um, I've, for a long time now, had concerns about Graham and Lenore, especially in um, deep coverage. Uh, and uh, I really like Jameer Holland's uh, debut um, last year, but he's sort of a nickel. They lose Hugo Mahdi, who I think, you know, really adapted his role pretty well. Two years ago, they, they lost uh, Tiger Robinson, who I find, thought was a pretty good uh, free safety. And, uh, to be honest, I haven't really been wild about Nick Pickett's play. I, I don't think he is as good as the safeties that um, that Avalos had at Boise State in 2017. And I, it's a big question mark who's going to be the, the, the rest of the nickel. Um, so uh, it, I, it's hard for me to predict. I, I, I really don't know. I know there's there's some really great talent coming in. And, I, you know, I, Brady Breeze has now been on the roster for three years. I, I sort of doubt he's going to see the field. I, I think that one of the new guys is going to take over at least one of those spots. And, and honestly, just, just like I said for Schooler and Johnson, um, as much as I, I love Nick Pickett going out there and playing hard every day, like nothing would make me happier than to see him on the bench because he got eclipsed. So you mentioned that the defensive coverages were a little different with uh, seniors at Boise versus the young guys that he had at Boise last year. Do you think that hurts or helps the young guys in the defensive backfield for Oregon? Well, to the extent that they'll probably be getting uh, a little more love and attention, it probably uh, helps. Um, I, I think that um, 
you know, one sort of sneaky thing that flew under the radar that Ugo Mati brought to the game last year was he would pull off some pretty sneaky safety blitzes where it looked like he was running across the, the formation or to cover a sweep or whatever. And then he would, you know, the instant the ball was snapped, he was like three yards upfield. And I don't know that Oregon has, I, uh, when I say, I don't know, I don't mean, I don't think they do. I mean, I literally don't know if Oregon is going to be able to replace that in 2019. It will be interesting to see um, how the young guys do, because I think a surprise safety blitz uh, is there's very little that's more jarring to an offense than, wait a minute, you're supposed to be 40 <laughs> yards that way, and instead you're eating my quarterback's lunch. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Um, from, the, from the defense you've been able to study so far, who's the, uh, the one or two? There could be a couple players, but who are the biggest benefactors of, of this defensive change in your opinion? If Kayvon Thibodeau plays as a true freshman, it's him, no question. Um, because of the way that Avalos deploys uh, studs and the flexible guys on the end, now, Thibodeau said repeatedly he's playing, he's a true defensive end, he plays with his fist in the dirt, and I respect him saying that, but the way that Avalos deploys those guys on the outside is it's a, I'll put it this way, it is a treat for film reviewers to watch. You are not watching a boring Big Ten four-man defensive front who, you know, just smashes their face into the offensive line for 50 snaps and then goes home. Um, you're watching some wild stuff, and uh, Kevon Thibodeau is a wild man. Um, as we wrap up here, uh, you know, one thing, just kind of overviewing uh, the season. We're looking ahead. Auburn's coming up. That's going to be – we're going to know what we got right out of the gate there, uh, you know, with with, oh, yeah. with Oregon and Auburn, I guess, if you will. Uh, what you know, there's 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 folks that are on the fence that saying, hey, look, you know, we've got all the talent coming back. You've got some good additions. Receivers should be better. You know, uh, offense should be in year two or year three, if you will. You know, a lot of optimism there. Where are you kind of at at this particular moment with your outlook of this coming season? I'm pretty optimistic. Um, I would very quickly say it's year two. Uh, it's not year three. Twenty The 2017 offense had almost nothing to do with what was happening in 2018. Their 2017 resembled 2016 a hell of a lot more than it resembled 2018. Um, but to your larger question, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. I, I think it is an upgrade at defensive coordinator. The numbers haven't borne that out necessarily, but I'm a believer in Andy Avalos. Um, I think that uh, the talent upgrade has been great and and the production returning is phenomenal. I've been, uh, I have started this month doing a preview series of the 11 other Pac-12 teams. Um, I, I'm not going to start on an Auburn until August because that's going to be a whole thing. Um, and and yeah, looking just looking at and so I've compiled my you know returning production lists offensively and defensively for all the other Pac-12 teams. And Oregon blows them away, just destroys them um, in terms of returning production. Um, there's there's really no reason not to be optimistic. Excellent. I know. Uh, well, hopefully the, uh, the the readers of Scoop Duck and Addicted to Quack. I know everybody everybody reads your work, but uh, you know it's nice to have you on here and be able to let you kind of verbalize some of your thoughts. Versus, you know, I know I know from my writing, you know, you put stuff on on paper and it it just doesn't come out the way you want it to sometimes in words. So it was nice to be able to have you on and be able to you know verbalize uh, some of your work. 
Really appreciate everything, Hith. And as I mentioned leading in here, we want to get you back for some of the big games. We definitely want to talk Auburn, uh, you know, in the next month or so, and then maybe some of the other games as well with you if, if you're down for coming back on. You bet. It's been my pleasure. I didn't realize we were talking to a geek there. Yeah. That was great. Yeah, I mean, uh, and uh, you know, we we do not use that term negatively at no. all. That was uh, that was highly enlightening. Um, I thought, uh, you know, I thought he did an excellent job of of really, you know, conveying his thoughts, covering the bases, um, but also not not trying to be overly optimistic about things. Yeah, there are certain areas that look like they should improve and 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 can improve and will improve. Um, you know, but there's also, you know, like he said, there's also some alarms that he was looking at as well. And, uh, but man, what a, what a great guess. I know, uh, you know, you and I sit here and try and figure out what we're going to talk about some days and it's like, okay, how are we going to fill 30 minutes, 45 minutes? There's, you know, there's just not a lot going on. Yeah. We just give Hidlow day the mic. Yeah. We just call him from now on and just <laughs> bam, ask about five or six questions and, and let him run with it. But great stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I thought that was enlightening. I think that really also really helped you and I set the table for doing that again, you know, get him back. Yes. Let's talk Auburn, you know, get him back. Let's talk Washington, you know, and uh, he hit on something there at the very end. One of the last things he was talking about, uh, you know, obviously he spoke volumes to me is the talent, the acquisition of talent of Oregon compared to everybody else. I mean, yeah. And, and I don't know if his study there even included the addition of Chris Steele, you know, I mean, just, with what this staff has done, you think about some of the transfers they brought, you know, you've brought in DJ Johnson, who looks like a guy who's going to contribute at worst. You've brought in, you know, Chris Steele, who looks like a guy that's definitely going to be, you know, playing serious ball at Oregon. Yes. And then there's that Juwan Johnson guy, you know. Who? Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, but, I mean, those three transfers, now, of course, they all don't work out. You know, I, you know, Kano Dillon, I thought Kano Dillon would have been a stud in at Oregon if he could have been healthy last year. Just wasn't able to get healthy it shows to me because he got drafted in the he was undrafted but he got picked up in the NFL you know really telling me that that guy's got the athleticism yes um you know the uh, not every transfer is worked out um but i do feel really good about Chris Steele, Juwan Johnson, and DJ Johnson. Those are three guys that help Oregon. Yeah, you can't leave that interview without feeling great. Uh, Beer analogies, a reference to the greatest musical ever made, and uh, the point that I take away, he said repeatedly, and, and I know I believe this, I think you believe this as well, the Ducks should be the favorite in the Pac-12, not because of Justin Herbert sure. or because of an uh, improved defense, but because they got the best damn offensive line in the conference. Yeah. that I mean, if you're Marcus Arroyo, that is your best friend. Your best friend is having that offensive line at the forefront. You can do a lot with that. And you, it's not just that they're, you know, big, strong guys. They've played, you know, most of those guys have played together. You know, they'll all play together the second year in a row. Most of those guys play together three, four years if we're talking about Lemieux and Throckmorton and Hanson. Um, you know, so, you know, you got a guy like Warmack out there who transferred in. He's been consistent, you know, hasn't been Penny Sewell, you know, great, but he hasn't been a liability either. He's been consistent. He'll have another year to gel and learn this offense. I mm-hmm. mean, um, you know, I, I, I know it's not the popular opinion, but I like what he had to say about Justin Herbert. I mean, he's got to read the field a little bit better. I've said it, and I'm not the only analyst to say it. This team, I mean, at the end of the day, they go as far as number 10 will take them. I wonder 
and maybe this is me being too local, but I wonder if part of the problem for Herbert is his high school team was great. Mm-hmm. All right, Sheldon, you know firsthand. I I know firsthand. They dominate in Oregon every year. They weren't running the world's most fancy offense. Right. I wonder if his growth kind of got stunted. Well, you know that's certainly um, that's possible. I like that you bring it up because that is you know that is something that coaches look at is the style of offense these these guys are running uh, in high school. That's something that that coaches look at when they're analyzing. The other thing that really sticks out in my mind is you know for all intents and purposes he was on his third offense at Oregon. Yeah. You know, and they're all different. You know, Mark Helfrich offense is completely different than a Willie Taggart offense. And a Willie Taggart offense is definitely much different than a Marcus Arroyo offense. I think the best thing for him now, as Hith mentioned, it's a much more read progression based offense. You know, which was the knock on Marcus Mariota coming out of the, the Chip Kelly and and, and uh Helfridge offenses is that he wasn't really required to read and progress. He, you know, Justin Herbert is definitely being required to do that. And it seemed to be a bit of an issue. Now, maybe it's because he just hasn't been in it before. Maybe it's because it was the third offense in as many years for him. Hopefully this year being the second year of the offense. And, and, and obviously that's probably, if I had to guess, that's probably the number one thing that Marcus Arroyo, Arroyo has been working on with him since the Michigan State game, you know, off the field and, and just really trying to mm-hmm. prepare him for that. And the great thing is that is a skill that will be pivotal to his success in the NFL. So him learning it is incredibly important for him. And I'm sure that, you know, Justin Herbert's an, a very smart young man. I'm sure he's very self-aware of that. So fingers crossed, again, in my opinion, this team will know what we got right out of the gate with Auburn, but this team goes as far as number 10 will take him. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't wait for that Auburn game. It's going to be so. I mean, we'll get to really see what this defense is all about from that first game there, you know, because obviously it's it's going to be an Avalos defense. There will be a lot of difference. I don't care what anybody says. It's going to be different than Jim Levitt. Right. Uh, and I'm excited, like he said, to see that per- perhaps the playbook doubles this year. You will see twice as many variations of plays this year, which really – um, you know, one of the things he hit on was this offense became predictable at times, and it did. And that floored me. Right. When when you guys are saying, I, I literally was just stammering, going, wow. When you guys are saying, if you take out flipped plays and you take out variations of formation, variations of personnel, and you just look at what play is being run, yeah. the Ducks only ran 20 plays? Right. Yeah, I mean, That's insane. Simplified. And I'm sure it was simplified just because it's, you know, year one of the offense under Arroyo, if you will. Even though he was the OC when Taggart was here, it was Taggart's offense. There's no question about that. So I think last year was the first year that Arroyo really got to put his stamp on it. I think there was some brilliance at times, but that predictability, I, I don't condemn the predictability because like he also said, this was an offense based on the numbers. If you can get two, three, maybe four yards on first down, you've set yourself up for success the rest of that series. It's a very big key. Yeah, now getting 45 yards is a lot more exciting. Don't get me wrong. Watching C.J. Verdell sprint down the sideline, you know, a la the Michael James, that shit's exciting. I get it. That's, <laughs> it is. But that's not a Mario Cristobal offense. That's not a Marcus. Ar- well, it may be a Marcus Arroyo offense at some point, but that's just not what's going to happen right now, especially not with that offensive line that they have. There's no reason to. There's no reason to be boomer bust. You can have success if you can convert and execute on first and second down. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that was an awesome conversation that we had earlier. Uh, just you know, hit the back button, rewind, whatever you got to do if you want to have your mind blown on the X's and O's. I think that pretty much covers everything, right? I think so. This to me is a, a listen twice kind of episode. It yeah. is. You go. You got to go back and listen to some of the things to make sure you heard. I mean, did you, you just do. It was a there's great, a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot there. And and uh, I guess the good news is we've probably kept this episode to maybe 45 minutes or less. So that's possible to do. Yeah. Excellent. But yeah, so now it's time, I guess, for us to go and, and not get rained on. You always mention food at the end of this. Oh, I'm freaking starving, dude. You got me thinking, I know we're in Southern Oregon, yeah. but if we were in Portland right now, I'd say let's go to the Michael James's place. Yeah, go get a killer burger. Yeah. I had killer burger last time I was in Eugene, which I know is not his, but it's the same chain. Right. Um, yeah, I'm I'm down for a burger. I was thinking I might hit Wendy's on my way onto Table Rock, because i got to take Table Rock out to Sam's Valley to go pick up my my youngest two children right now and take my and then i gotta race my daughter to her art class that's a severe downgrade from killer burger oh yeah no it's a severe <laughs> downgrade it's not even, but i'm trying to think of what's on my way it's that or jack in the box there's taco delight but i had taco delight yesterday for lunch mm. which i love mm. which i love yeah but two days in a row is a little bit much so and i'm not going to even chance going through in and out burger because i already know that'll be 50 cars deep isn't that funny like and i know we're losing people right now just having this chat but when you're in Medford and you're in the Rogue Valley, you don't care about In-N-Out Burger. I used to go way more when it was down in Redding. Right. Like your closest one was Redding. Oh, I stopped every time. Every time. Yep. I'm the same way. Yep. Now I don't even get out of my car to go to this one because it's just like, eh, whatever. I don't want to wait 30 minutes. Nope. No. 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 No, I'd rather. I'll let the tourists do that. Yeah. You guys can do that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like our own little voodoo donuts. It is. Exactly. All the, yeah. I'm not a big donut guy, but dang, those things are good. Voodoo donuts awesome. Well. I know everybody likes the Blue Star Donuts up in Portland too. I don't. I have. I've only been to them like once or twice. But, yeah. Um, they had a bourbon. I. I my. Uh, my fiance. She showed me. They had one that had like a bourbon glaze. Yep. And I'm. I'm with you. I don't eat a lot of donuts because they're literally just fat bombs. Right. But oh, that bourbon glaze. Yeah. That just touched my soul. Sometimes it calls your number. Yeah. Mm. All right, man. Well, duck football again. Like Justin said, you're going to want to listen back to this two or three times. There's a lot of material there that might miss the casual fan. Great insights on the Oregon offense and defense next fall. And our thoughts on Kenny Wooten as well. Yeah, Wooten. Make sure you guys are sharing this, please. If you're still listening, share this. Put it on Facebook. Tweet it out. I don't know. Just, you know, you help. When you grow. When you help this grow, you know, who knows? We might end up with some advertising. It might not be much, but it helps us get, uh, you know, other guests and, and helps us do things. So, um, you know, and it's not even about that. We just want to grow it. We want it to be the, the best podcast it can be. Matt does an awesome job mixing it up and editing it, and the sound quality is as good as it gets. So, guys, just be sure and share this, and and, uh, and thank you for listening as well. Yeah, and you're going to get that Hot Valley endorsement sooner than later. Sooner than later. They're calling. <laughs> I can do this now.